the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Kevin Nicholas, and I'm with Dr. John Phillips. Remember to call in if you are listening live. Join the discussion. Write this number down, 1-888-367-5329, 367-5329. Lock it into your speed dial. Today, we're going to talk about why veins are not always fun in the sun. We get so many questions from patients all over the world. Why do my veins pop out or look bigger in the summer? Well, we're going to talk about that and advanced treatment options for various vein issues that impact more than 30 million people in the U.S. alone, with only 10% seeking treatment, according to the Society of Vascular Surgeons. But first, you know, before we get into the topic, before we review our week as we always do, Dr. Phillips, can you give us a little bit of motivation and inspiration? <laughs> Kim, good afternoon. Good morning. How you doing? Hi. I oh, yes. you have some motivation for us. I need to hear it. Well, you know, I think we're going to start our episodes now with a, a, an inspirational quote. So I got this one from uh, Marcus Aurelius, one of the Stoic philosophers. But I think it kind of centers around what we've talked about in our prior episodes about patient advocacy and, and being your, you know, your own quarterback of your care. But this one, he says, you have power over your mind not outside events, realize this and you will find strength. So control what you can control. Live an um, unconditional life. That's right? exactly right. Yes, indeed. That, so. I think that that's so important. You know, when you live a conditional life, it can be so stressful and it can leave you with a life without hope. So yeah, that, that's not good. So thank you for a little inspiration. That really sets us up for a great show. Um, do what I can. Any interesting things happening this week? I mean, we had a really crazy week. Oh, you know, it's just uh, we were talking before the show about telehealth and communicating with patients. And I find that more often than not, I'm giving them my cell phone and and or at least the providers that that I get referrals from and just had it, you know, on Thursday, I had a text from one of the docs saying, hey, Mr. So-and-so's leg isn't looking good. You know, what can you do? And, um, you know, thankfully, we have pretty rapid access. So he's coming to see me. Monday, I think, probably for an angiogram. So it's kind of nice to have the technology. Uh, and I was just reflecting on that when we were talking about that before the show, Dr. Hill. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor, we've been keeping Dr. Brad Hill with uh, Hill Vascular down in um, Campbell, California, in the southern San Francisco Bay Area. We've kept him busy. He's on call this weekend, but he didn't expect to be 
on call last night with my dad talking about Venus issues, swelling in the sun. I mean, talk about timing. And then this morning, our nurse practitioner, Kay, is looking at one of our patients with the weight of my heart. We're a nonprofit organization that supports patients um, who have peripheral artery disease, restricted blood flow um, in the leg arteries, mainly due to plaque buildup. And he was on reviewing the case and making sure, hey, do we need to get in today or can it wait till till next week's? <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Hill. It's your weekend, but you know, you said you were on call, right? That's right. That's <laughs> that's what we're all here for uh, to help people. And um, so it's uh, you never know what you're going to run into. You know, you wake up in the morning, and a lot of people out there are suffering unnecessarily. And we have such great treatment options, you know, in 2022. So it's just uh, making the proper diagnosis and setting expectations and using all the technology, you know, to its fullest extent to uh, help people out there. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, even in just leading into the topic of the day, even with my dad, he has some Venus issues, not sure exactly what's going on yet. You were fantastic in asking him all the right questions last night, but really, you know, the summer heat can can really make some of those vein issues a little bit more prevalent, right? Just like his. Absolutely. I mean, people, you know, during the summer, you want to get outside in shorts and walk around, enjoy the sun, be with your friends and family. And it's hot and uh, the legs get heated up and, uh, you know, the veins tend to pop out and you're under the sun. So the shadows are being cast by the veins and they're more prominent. You may notice them maybe a little bit worse this year than they were last year. Mm -hmm. So people really notice them during the summer. And we also have a special guest, Professor Mark Whiteley. He is a consultant Venus surgeon and executive chairman of the Whiteley Clinic in London. I think some people call you the celebrity vein doctor over there in the UK. You've even um, invented quite a few advanced treatments for veins. Um, anything notable this week before we deep dive into some Venus conversations? Nothing, nothing special this week. Uh, we, we were on television in the UK last night, which was quite nice. Uh, on a Thursday night, uh, doing a case uh, for the UK TV, which is very nice, called Embarrassing Bodies. So it's quite nice that the um, that the uh, the UK uh, we've got one of as you know some of the celebrities come to see us will let us use their name. So a very famous person over here called Chris Evans has been a fantastic advocate for uh, veins, and um, he he also had me on his show I think on Tuesday. One of the nice things about that is he also, um, many people think that venous problems, especially varicose veins, are only female. And they think most uh, people who get venous problems are female and male, it doesn't really affect so much. In fact, a lot of research has shown it's prevalent in males and females to the same extent. Uh, maybe a slight preponderance to ladies, but this idea of females having it five times or six times more likely than males is all just because in the past we've listened to doctors who say who comes to see you rather than gone out to populations and actually found who actually is suffering. So I think that sort of it's quite interesting that those two things have come up at once. That, you know, number one, people are getting more used to it. And number two, there's this great advocacy for men to get venous uh, diseases sorted out. Right. One of the biggest issues, everyone's heard of varicose veins. Everyone's seen varicose veins. Do you find that most of these celebrities who are coming in are asking you to treat them because of the look of them or mainly because there is a medically necessary um, treatment need? 
Uh, I think that that really comes down to the heart of what's changed in the last 20 years. And there's been a lot of research showing that if you look at what happens to varicose veins, they don't just sit there and do nothing. Varicose veins only appear because they're stopping inflammation of the ankles. They're sort of like the shock absorbers. And half the people with venous diseases don't see anything until they start getting the problems, which is swelling of the ankles, skin discoloration, ulcers, and eventually uh, you can also get clots and bleeds on top. And something like one in 22 people people every year who have venous problems will deteriorate to the next level which is the sort of ankles as i said that sort of chain going so we now know that everybody if you leave it long enough will actually end up with a venous problem and a lot of uh, and i mean by that not just things they don't look like but something that affects quality of life so um, it's really important that most people start coming with aching if they're sensible but if they don't then you get these other problems And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we will go in depth on the difference between what you should get treated and what you shouldn't get treated when it comes to veins. So stay with us. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined again here with Kim, and we have Drs. Brad Hill and Mark Whiteley. Uh, and today we're discussing superficial vein disease or varicose veins. Um, I treat them. We all kind of, we see folks that have varicose veins. Uh, A lot of times they're coming into the office to discuss treatment options. So, you know, Dr. Hill, if I may ask, when, when a patient comes in to see you for a superficial vein that, you know, maybe they're noticing more so now because of they've got shorts on and it's warm out and they don't like the look of it. What, uh, you know, how do you start that conversation with them about, you know, setting expectation or treatment options? What, what are your thoughts? Sure. Well, you know, I, I want to understand better, um, you know, what their perspective is on this and uh, what is the history. So oftentimes uh, these patients will have a family history. They'll say my mother or father had them, my grandparent had them. And, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm seeing these changes in my legs. So they're usually very concerned because they can relate to what they've seen around them and what happens to people um, as the veins uh, progress. So uh, we want to understand the history, um, what their take on it is, and then we really want to uh, make a proper diagnosis. So usually this is uh, something that, um, you know, manifests and is caused by some underlying problem. 
So uh, the, the next step is to do an ultrasound to look at the veins in the leg. And, um, you know, most people don't realize the anatomy is uh, uh, basically a, a set of deep veins, which are the primary veins to carry blood back to the heart, and then the superficial veins, which are between the skin and the muscle. And so when people develop varicose veins, usually those are stemming off the superficial veins and um, there's increased pressure and the veins will elongate and enlarge and they become visible. But it's a sign of an underlying problem and we need to fully understand what that is. And ultrasound is uh, non-invasive, very simple uh, tests that we can do to map out all the veins and look and see if there are any obstructions like clots or scar tissue uh, that is formed in the veins, as well as the valve function uh, that keeps the blood traveling in one direction toward the heart, which is the normal physiology. Um, so we use ultrasound to um, to understand what is the underlying situation that may be contributing to the varicose veins. Yeah, when I'm trying to describe to some of our patients that we work with, we we talk about, you know, do you have a vein flap problem? Have the flaps failed or the vein flaps, are they, have they failed? Are they just lazy? Do they need to wake up? Do you need to, you know, treat them in some way to make sure you can usher, you know, the, the blood flow going? Correct. Yeah. So the, the you know, the uh, faulty veins or our uh, valves, uh, you know, it seems to be a, a structural issue that uh, there is a, a genetic component to that over time uh, that can uh, uh, cause the veins to fail. And sometimes it happens early in life, you know, even during the teenage years or early 20s, people start having uh, problems with uh, veins appearing. You know, when you get to about the age of 40, about 50% of people will have some visible changes. They may be little spider veins uh, in, in the skin or larger varicose veins, but it's such a common problem. And significant disease, you know, just in in the United States, uh, 30 million or so, I think you mentioned earlier in the program, um, have um, uh, some form of uh, vein disease that's causing symptoms. Right? Dr. Whiteley, once you make the diagnosis of venous insufficiency or the veins are kind of leaking, go through your uh, treatment algorithm with us. Uh, I think someone had uh, brought a question about, about compression, so kind of a non-invasive way of treating them versus some of the invasive techniques that we have. Yes, Carol yeah. um, is one of the patients that is online watching the stream right now. So that was her question. Nice. Uh, so with, with venous reflux disease, uh, there's three main causes of um, venous disease, of which valve failure is the most common. But you can also get stasis, which just is not the veins moving enough or obstruction, which is blockage. With venous reflux disease, which is the commonest, there's a, uh, most people think there's like two or three veins, the great venous, small venous, and some people talk about the anterior accessory venous veins that can fail in any order. In fact, there's over 150 veins on each leg that can fail because you have all the perforators, you have pelvic veins. And so now it's become much, much more complex to give a simple answer because it depends which pattern you've got. And when any of those ones refluxing, can any of those 150 can cause a problem, we know that sometimes it's treating the pelvic veins often it's treating with endovenous laser radio frequency or the new non-invasive ultrasound techniques like sonovane we can actually ablate or stop those veins from refluxing um, and you have to modify it on the pattern the most important thing i think to say is if you can walk and if you're healthy compression has no 
uh, place at all. And the NICE guidelines have actually said very, very clearly, as have the American uh, uh, Venus Forum for the guidelines, the compression should be only reserved for those people who can't be treated um, uh, because you can get people back to normality nowadays with the new minimally invasive techniques. So compression is really there for those people who can't have treatment or are immobile. Fantastic. Um, we are going to head to break just a little bit early. We come back. We have a lot more to talk about. We have several questions. I believe we have a doctor on the line that wants to join the discussion as well. And we will see you back here right here on the Heart of Innovation. So stay with us. Medical Notepad brought to you by patient advocacy organizations. Take a stand against amputation and the way to my heart. Hi, I'm Dr. Lake Raja from El Paso Cardiology Associates at El Paso, Texas. What is an angiogram? First, it's only performed if the physician discovers through initial testing that you have peripheral arterial disease, restricted blood flow in the legs due to plaque buildup. The initial testing can be an ankle brachial index or ABI test where they measure the differential of blood pressure between your legs and your feet using blood pressure cuffs. And or an ultrasound where they put a gel on your legs and use a probe to read the sound waves and see inside your body. Now, the angiogram is an advanced procedure that a vascular specialist, which could be an interventional cardiologist such as myself, an international radiologist or vascular surgeon performs under an x-ray. An IV is placed with a light sedation. Once you are sedated, the doctor will use ultrasound guidance to locate an artery either in your wrist, groin, foot or calf to insert a catheter. A dye is injected through the catheter into the artery to light up any narrowing or blockage in your legs. Once the doctor locates the blockage, he or she will decide how to restore the blood flow. Doctor can dilate balloons or push plaque aside. Some even have a drug coating on them to help prevent restenosis. That's known as angioplasty. There are devices that can be used to remove the plaque. They are known as atherectomy or thrombectomy devices, which are used for clots. Sometimes stents or a type of a metal scaffolding are used to hold the vessel open following the treatment. The newer philosophy is to leave nothing behind if you can help it. You definitely want to choose a physician that will try to use advanced treatment methods to limit stent use. But they are usually necessary in the groin and abdomen arteries known as common femoral artery, iliac artery, or aorta. An angiogram typically takes about an hour or two. If done in an outpatient lab, you are always home same day. In a hospital facility, if later during the day, you may spend the night. Recovery is minimal. You should be walking hours later, hopefully with less pain and warm feet. Sometimes you might feel what we call reperfusion pain. 
It's simply when blood flow is restored and you wake up the nerves and tissue downstream again. That should ease within a few days. With the basics of angiogram, I'm Dr. Leigh Medical Notepad is a series for educational and informational purposes only. Advice offered is not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this series without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. For more information on peripheral artery disease, go to standagainstamputation.com. And for peripheral artery disease support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. And we're back. Don't forget to call in 888-367-5329 if you have any questions. And we're continuing the conversation about superficial vein disease, so those kind of bulgy veins you see in your legs. And we were just before break discussing compression, which is a common treatment recommendation. And Dr. Whiteley, you were saying that maybe there's not a role for compression? No, the only, the only time you should ever use compression uh, as a treatment uh, is if a patient is unable to have surgery for any reason. There's no scientific basis for using it. We can now emulate the effects of compression by t- fixing the internal veins using endovenous techniques, all these new techniques from outside the body with high-intensity focused ultrasound. So the NICE guidelines and the American Venus Forum guidelines say very clearly that you should not use compression as a treatment option and unless there's no other option, unless the patient doesn't want treatment or unless um, for some reason they're not suitable for treatment. But maybe Dr. Hill and Dr. Phillips, correct me if I'm wrong, but here in the U.S. it's a requirement to wear compression socks. We had a patient that nurse practitioner Kay was working with for the way to my heart, and they said, go home for three months, wear compression socks. And she says, it's the middle of summer. You think I'm going to wear knee-high compression socks. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's it's regional, but at least the patients that I see that have documented insufficiency or reflux based on the ultrasound testing that we were discussed have to wear compression for at least three months for most insurance companies to cover, cover it. Dr. Hill, I don't know. Uh, that, that's exactly right. It's a requirement as a conservative measure uh, for patients. And those there are three main concepts here. One is... Uh, Walking exercise, and Dr. Wiley just mentioned that if someone is able to walk normally, the foot and the calf muscles uh, basically function as pumps to push the blood back up to the heart. And right, we call it the second heart. Exactly. So if someone's uh, valves are, are working normally, then there's really no significant pressure as soon as you start walking uh, in the venous system. But if the valves are failing, then the pressure is going to be there as soon as you stop walking. So, um, but the insurance companies uh, and the various, um, you know, there's one company that requires a two week, uh, they call it stocking trial before you can offer uh, a, a definitive treatment. And, but most of them, including uh, Medicare in the United States, uh, require a three month uh, trial stocking therapy. 
Uh, so walking exercise, leg elevation, and compression therapy are the three main principles for conservative management, uh, short of doing an intervention. Uh, but we have such good treatments that are low risk uh, these days that um, really anyone who is ambulatory and has normal um, capacity to walk, uh, you know, should uh, seriously consider these treatments. It can be done as an outpatient uh, very quickly with a lifelong benefit uh, by doing them. And what are some of these treatments? I know, Dr. Whiteley, you also um, pioneered um, a, a couple treatments um, a, as well that are known around the world. What are the, but I, it's important to know not only what are the treatments, but also what are the indications for the treatments? And it would be interesting to hear that, that in the UK versus that of the US. Yeah, there's two, there's two main indications. There's the, the, the medical indications, and those have now been outlined uh, in three major uh, sort of international guidelines, European, English, and uh, UK rather, and uh, uh, North American. And all of them agree that as soon as you have varicose veins and any symptoms at all, rarely pain, it's usually aching, heaviness, tenderness, tired legs, or swelling of the ankles due to varicose veins, thrombophlebitis or clots in the superficial veins, any bleeding from varicose veins, venous eczema, redness or brown stains around the ankles or leg ulcers, even if it's healed. All of those are medical reasons that you must have a venous duplex ultrasound scan and if appropriate, must have treatment. The second cause, of course, is if you've got veins that don't have any signs or symptoms, you can have them treated for cosmetic reasons, but that's a personal one. And of course, the most insurance carriers wouldn't cover that. But those are the two main reasons, medical causes or, or non-medical. I must say the one thing that's very interesting is most people who come to me thinking they've got medical reasons, by the time you've investigated them, <laughs> they've usually got flecks of brown around their ankles or they've got uh, edema, you know, the swelling of the ankles. And you actually find they've got medical reasons and just thought they weren't medical causes. And so many people have venous disease more advanced than they think because we've been led to think it's only cosmetic. And Dr. Hill, Dr. Phillips, is that the same here in the U.S.? Yeah, I wanted to just touch base because, you know, a lot of what we talked about, Kim, on our previous shows is patient advocacy. And, you know, it's not uncommon for me to see a patient who has a clear venous ulcer that has been, quote unquote, treated for months and once you kind of get to the nitty gritty of it, you find out that it is venous insufficiency. And, and Dr. Hill, right, we have a, a, a pretty landmark study that showed faster wound healing times with ablation techniques as opposed to just relative wound care. That's right. And also preventing a recurrent ulcer. If someone's had an ulcer and they have superficial uh, reflux with the valves uh, not functioning, uh, if you treat those veins, the, the chance of the ulcer coming back is, is significantly reduced. Um so one, one other thing I wanted to just mention about compression therapy, because, you know, patients that have uh, a treatable problem uh, can avoid having to, you know, uh, rely on compression uh, stockings for the rest of their life. But uh, we don't we don't want to give the impression that uh, stockings have no use at all. So if you're going on a, a prolonged trip, if you're flying across the Atlantic or if you're immobilized after an operation, uh, there is a role for compression because, um, you know, those are times when you're not able to walk and the, those uh, muscle pumps built into your body, the calf and the foot are not uh, functioning, uh, then then you should wear compression to avoid a, a clot forming in the leg. So there is a role for compression therapy in circumstances like that. That's a really good point. I actually had my first, um, you know, trip from a plane to the ambulance. Um, to the hospital in Australia because of exactly that. And they put me straight into compression socks. Ever since then, I have to wear literally 
hip to toe <laughs> compression socks. <laughs> I, had really a, I had a patient. I had a patient. Really who, sexy. I'm going to tell you. No wonder I'm single. <laughs> she wears shorts with, with a, a history of a, a recent DVT. And he told me that he had flown uh, from San Francisco to, I think it was Tokyo. And he purposefully um, uh, requested a window seat and made sure that he was dehydrated so that he would not have to get up during the flight. And he just sat there in his seat uh, the whole trip. And, and, you know, he got a DVT. So, you know, you want to hydrate. You want to pump your legs when you're sitting there in the airline seat, et cetera. You know, keep things going. All right. And we'll uh, continue the discussion when we come back from our break. Well, hey, everyone. My name is Dr. David Alper. I'm here once again with the weightofmyheart.org's footnotes. And today we're going to talk about pretty feet. Why are we going to talk about pretty feet? Well, because people do like to make their feet look good. It makes you feel better. It makes the feet feel a little better. But you have to do it properly. You have to do it safely. And especially if you have circulation issues like PAD or diabetes, some things can actually be more of a danger than they can helping you with the way your feet look. So let's start with toenails. Toenails, of course, are the same tissue as skin, which means the toenails need to be able to breathe. When you paint your toenails, there's nothing wrong with doing it for a short period of time. But what you don't want to do is paint your nails in May and take it off in October because the nails aren't able to breathe. And this is one of the reasons that you get fungal infections in your toenails. And while this is not medically dangerous, it can hurt and it's really quite unsightly. So you really want to take your nail polish off after about a month, give it a few days to breathe, and then reapply it again. The same thing is true with fake toenails. The glue that keeps these on does not let the nails breathe. Funguses don't like air. And so when you seal the nail, it's a perfect way to help funguses grow and make the nails brittle. So once again, if you're going to put something like this on, make sure you don't leave it on for an extended period of time. When you're cutting your nails, it's better not to use something like this, but something like this that allows you to go straight across as you're cutting. You want to cut your nails straight across. Do not dig into the corners. That's a way of causing an ingrown toenail. If you have dead skin on your feet, please, please do not take something like this out because you're basically taking a cheese grater to your skin. It's sharp metal, and especially if you don't have any feeling in your feet, it's very easy to go too deep. Much better to do some type of a buffing stone or a pumice stone that will take the dead skin off without going too deep, and make sure you moisturize, moisturize, moisturize after you do this. If you have little lumps and bumps of dead skin, corns on your toes or calluses on your knee, padding it, to make the shoes more comfortable is appropriate. But please do not use anything that says for corn removal. This works with an acid called salicylic acid, which tries to burn it off. And if you read the package under the back, the first thing it says under warnings is do not use if you have diabetes. The second thing it says is do not use if you have poor circulation. All these do is burn your skin. Much better to moisturize them or go to a podiatrist that knows the proper way of removing them. If you follow these instructions, your feet can be safe, your feet can be healthy, and your feet can be pretty. This is Dr. David Alper. For further information, please go to the American Podiatric Medical Association at APMA.org, the American Diabetes Association at ADA.org, and of course, the weightofmyheart.org. Thank you very much, and I look forward to seeing you at another foot. Welcome back to the heart of innovation. 
For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We're continuing our spirited and dynamic discussion about superficial vein disease, and we have a caller, Dr. Ginsburg, out of Wisconsin. Dr. Ginsburg, can you hear me? Uh, once again, thank you for having me, and I think you guys have a wonderful discussion, and, uh, and it's a great uh, uh, sort of idea of adequacy for uh, uh, you know, wound healing, amputation prevention, and limb salvage, and the topic of today sounds like it's a superficial venous disease. So, um, in the context of superficial venous I thought that it was a very, very interesting conversation about compression therapy and uh, do you even try it or not. And I think that uh, I'm practicing in the U.S., and as someone mentioned, Wisconsin, and I think it probably applies to multiple states. I think that there's also a differentiation in terms of if there is truly a, a venous ulcer or heel venous ulcer, where you really, at that point in time, Compression therapy is not something we're going to go first line. We're going to go for the incompetent veins versus if someone has symptomatic varicose vein disease that kind of where insurance will necessitate the initial trial of compression therapy, just like a little. So we treat it slightly differently when you have someone with a venous ulcer versus not. It's really interesting that you mentioned the venous ulcer, and I'm curious what all of the doctors here have to say about this, because we had a patient in Michigan who ended up uh, presenting with a, uh, several ulcers, you know, uh, venous ulcers, and I, she was on deck for amputation. She was in so much pain. She called me, called our leg saver hotline for the way to my heart and said, I don't know what to do. I'm on deck for amputation, but I'm in pain and I don't I, today. And is this the right choice? So I called a, a world famous uh, doctor, Dr. Jihad Mustafa, you know, for peripheral artery disease. And he, he does treat some veins. And I said, hey, you know, Dr. Mustafa, you know, she's on deck for amputation. He's like, let me talk to her. He talked to her. But because of the pain, she ended up going straight to the emergency room. You know, the pain can alter you know, your mindset a little bit and thinking that that's the only option. And six months later, so she did go ahead and get that amputation despite our pleas not to and to get further testing and a second opinion. And she finally came to us and she's like, oh, my gosh, they want to cut off my other leg. I'm having the same presentation of these ulcers and the pain, but I can't survive if I have two legs amputated. I said, would you finally go to Dr. Mustafa? Dr. Mustafa got her permission, called me straight from their clinic. And he's like, Kim, it's not even peripheral artery disease. It's a venous ulcer. She should never have had the first amputation. And let alone, they wanted to have her on deck for another amputation. Have you dealt with this? That's a, I, and and I'll let the other physicians chime in, but I've, I've never heard of a patient needing an amputation for a, a venous ulcer, unless if there was some other kind of thing going on. Um, but again, it's important, like we've talked about, it's important to delineate between, is it peripheral arterial disease? Is it venous disease? Is it, is it, is it a mixture of, mixture of both? I guess the question that I'll pose to our other physicians on the, on the show is, if you have somebody that has both, um, they have peripheral arterial disease and venous disease, but they have a venous ulcer. I typically treat the peripheral arterial disease first to allow for compression and then venous ablation after that. Thoughts on that? Uh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Go ahead. Uh, I, uh, 
I also, all, all, I think, very similar thoughts, and really, it's, uh, especially if the ABIs, uh, or the ankle brachial indices, which is an indication of how severe the peripheral arterial disease, and you have a mixed venous and arterial ulcer, or even if you have a you know, typical venous ulcer, you know, on the medial malleolus, but they do have an underlying peripheral arterial disease, I also go and try to revascularize them just because I want to maximize compression therapy on my way to try to uh, subsequently address their superficial venous insufficiency. Thank you so Dr. much, Dr. Ginsburg, for your thoughts and for joining us. Any other doctors have have any thoughts on on either? Yeah. If if you have if you follow just a, both science and logic, the simplest way, if you really don't know the difference, and quite often the new tests will tell you amounts, but they won't give you a, a comparative between the two diseases. The simplest things: put the patient into bed, subcutaneous heparin so they don't get DVT, elevate their legs. If it's predominantly a venous ulcer, it will start to heal with elevation. If it's predominantly arterial, there'll be an agony because they're not perfusing the periphery. And it's the simplest test in the world to do, provided you've got a, a, a bed where you can look after them for for five to seven days and it's the most accurate test it will tell you absolutely categorically which is the uh, which is the most important part with his arterial venous right and i i completely agree with all the comments being said we're seeing more and more of uh, these patients with mixed arterial and venous disease and um you know making the diagnosis and and making sure they have adequate blood flow to heal very critically important and then dealing with the venous uh uh, component as well. One other thing that we are seeing occasionally, and it's only 1% or so, or maybe less, is uh, autoimmune vasculitic type um, wounds that can happen in patients. And these are related to the immune system actually attacking the patient's tissues and preventing healing. Uh, these are autoimmune dermatitis type wounds, and they're very, very painful uh, for these patients. And uh, they're treated with steroids, actually. So, you know, having uh, the proper team to make the diagnosis. And if uh, you're, you, there's no arterial disease, you're treating the venous problem, which you assume is a venous stasis ulcer, you're not getting results. Uh, we have to think of an autoimmune process that can be treated very easily with steroids and make a huge difference for these patients. Rare condition, but it does happen. And we will be right back with more on the heart of innovation. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, 
we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Lakesaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. We only have just a few more minutes here. We're talking about venous disease, and it's becoming more prevalent, especially in the summer heat. But, you know, as we were speaking over the past hour about the issues related to veins and the possibility there are treatments out there for them. There are critical questions that you do need to ask your doctor um, about any sort of venous issue before you seek any sort of treatment. Uh, Dr. Bridehill, I want to start with you just because before the break, you were talking about, yeah, you could have gone in, you could have, they, they had a vein problem. Let's just ablate it. But whoa, hold on. That might be a Band-Aid. Actually, that might exacerbate the problem. We need to find out what is the medical reason this is happening before we treat? Absolutely. It's, it's so important to make the proper diagnosis before we start doing treatments. Uh, for example, the most common treatments we do are to close the superficial veins that are uh, problematic. But for example, you want to make sure the deep veins are, are normal because if you have obstruction or uh, old clots uh, uh, causing uh, lack of blood flow in the deep veins and you close off some of the superficial veins, it can make things worse. So you have to make sure that you get the proper diagnosis before any treatment. Thank you. And Dr. Whiteley? I think you also have to think as well that veins take blood all the way from the toes to the heart. And most vein doctors still only think about the veins going wrong or refluxing between the, the toes and the groin, and they forget all of the veins in the pelvis. And pelvis congestion syndrome, which is varicose veins of the pelvis, is turning out to be a major cause because when that causes reflux, it goes back into the legs as well in many patients. And we, our research has shown one in six women who present with leg varicose veins and one in, 20, uh, one in 30 men actually have have their varicose veins in the legs coming back from the pelvis. And if that's not addressed, those varicose veins keep coming back no matter what treatment you do. What is the test for that? Uh, the, the, thing, the best one in the world is thing called the transvaginal venous duplex ultrasound performed by the Holdstock Harrison Protocol. And things like MRI or CT, the trouble that you're lying flat and you can't see blood reflux, you only see sides of veins. So you want to see a dynamic test with the veins refluxing. Thank you. And Dr. Phillips, final thoughts. You know, again, I agree with everything that's been said. A fantastic show. I think uh, hopefully everyone's learned something. I I certainly have. And, uh, you know, my my final thought is to quote or to continue, you know, reiterate the quote from Marcus Aurelius, control what you can control. And as uh, you know, we're patient advocates. We want the patients to be the quarterback of their care. So ask the right questions, regardless of your of your disease process. And if you need to know which questions to ask. Um, I am in direct contact with Dr. Phillips and Dr. Whiteley and, and Dr. Hill. Even nurse practitioner Kay Smith is always available to answer your questions. You can go to thewaytomyheart.org and you can submit your questions there and we can make sure that all of our doctors and our nurse practitioner 
can help you to either one, find the right answers or to provide you with the right questions to ask your own healthcare team so that you can live a better quality of life. We really appreciate all of you joining us. Thank you to Drs. Mark Whiteley and Dr. Brad Hill. We really appreciate you being here. My co-host, Dr. John Phillips, and of course, nurse practitioner Kay, who's always in our groups and helping to support all of our friends around the world who need any sort of support with peripheral artery disease or venous disease. And thank you all for joining us. For more shows, go to theheartofinnovation.org and we'll see you next weekend. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.